Welcome to another episode of Christ in Prophecy. I'm your host, Tim Moore, along with my co-host, Nathan Jones. We're picking up speed as we highlight Jesus through the Old Testament. We've seen Him in pre-incarnate Christophanies, types, symbols, and prophetic foreshadows. And we've even discerned Him as the author behind the scenes, weaving the historical narrative together. And today, we're going to turn our attention to a book that celebrates one of God's good and perfect gifts. The Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon, records the very intimate dialogue between two human lovers. And for that reason, it is much spicier than we at times realize. The Bible records scenes of violence and human depravity that would merit an adults-only rating if it were graphically presented as a movie. And in spite of the archaic and poetic language of Song of Solomon, its sensual affirmation of romantic love is enough to make many Christians blush. But in the context of a Christian marriage, love and sex is nothing to be ashamed of. And the motif of husband and wife, bridegroom and bride, and even lovers longing to be together is shamelessly presented as a picture of our relationship to the Lord. Solomon, the wise king, wrote this love song early in his reign, about the 10th century BC. Solomon's Shulamite bride captures the attitude we should have toward our heavenly bridegroom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Our guest today is a pastor who has become famous for teaching and preaching on the Song of Solomon. Tommy Nelson, no relation to the book publisher, is the head pastor at Denton Bible Church here in Texas. Tommy, we're so delighted you could come to Maranatha Acres and be on this episode of Christ in Prophecy. People have often asked me, I read your Bible. I said, no, that's the publishers. That's, that's not the publishers. A good name, though. Yes, Tom Nelson. Well, we are very glad to have you. And I got to tell you, Tommy, we've worked all the way through the other books of the Old Testament leading up to Song of Solomon. And we've discussed the fall of man, the global flood, the outpouring of God's wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah. And the conquest of the promised land, which right. has some graphic scenes even there. But none of those other books or subjects strike fear in the heart of most preachers like Song of Solomon. Right. It, uh, oh, I think Dr. Criswell at uh, uh, First Baptist Dallas, his wife had had a Sunday school class and she said she taught every book except the Song of Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> Why the fear for this particular mm. book? You know, Throughout the history of the church, there, there's two sides of sex. There is the, uh, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from immorality. Uh, God hath given His Holy Spirit. And so we are called to be, let there not be anything even named among you. We're called to be holy. And yet on the other occasion, let her breast satisfy you at all times. A man does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. Uh, stop depriving of each other, except by agreement for a time that you can devote yourself to prayer. Come together soon, lest Satan tempt you. If you're not having proper relations in the home, Satan knows it. And so you see this kind of stay holy and pure and let, let the marriage bed be undefiled, that it's a good thing for the enjoyment and the union. And I think we're quick to preach on this. We're scared to preach on this because uh, sexuality, I guess, is one of the few sins that at any given time there can be a honeymoon and a glory, and over here it can be an abomination. Yes. And so we've got this drive that has to be directed rightly. And so maybe we're just scared to get too close to this over here. 
Yeah, and it seems like not only are pastors scared to preach on Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, but they seem then to not know how to deal with it with their audience. They might glaze right. over some of the erotic passages or the imagery, or some seem to revel in it and get real raunchy. Yeah. Uh, we even had a local pastor who preached from Song of Solomon on the top of his church in a bed. And so is, what is the correct balance in how we approach you the know, audience? You know, I uh, have taught the Song of Solomon, gosh, over well over 100 times. And if you teach the book literally, there is no raunch. There is an extreme um, delicateness. There is an, an appropriateness to it. It gives you imagery that is very easy to see. But I've never, and I've done a, a, a young person's Song of Solomon. We did it at First Baptist Dallas with uh, Mac Brunson when he was there. And we had all the kids there. And I taught it just like I did the adults. And you know what? We, we had no, I never had a problem any time with anybody saying this is too whatever. I didn't mention body parts. Because okay. the text is very, very appropriate. It's very dignified. But I had a, a Jewish scholar once from Hebrew University say that, you know, uh, she said, Gentiles have always had this platonic division of the flesh being evil and the spirit being good. She said, in the Hebrew worldview, God, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. It's everything. And so it is a holy thing, but it's a thing to be greatly enjoyed. She said, that book is probably more um, amorous than you think it is. And I just left it right there. No, I would agree it is amorous. You know, I, I love what you mentioned about God created. We know God created man and woman. And after declaring the entire creation good, He actually said it is not good for man to be alone. And so He needed a complementary companion. Right. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that woman's role is to complement man. As a matter of fact, they simply in a marriage relationship should complement and balance one another right. and represent kind of a harmonized and unified pair. But God did give us the gift of sex. Yeah, which is the most intimate thing. Yes, within that marriage union. And so why do Christians treat sex as if it's a four-letter word? Probably because um, we see, you don't see in society the glorification of proper marital love. No. no, no what you, you do see is the perversion of marital love. And so sexuality and marriage is kind of guilt by association. Mm. But I tell you, in our culture, we're in a post-Christian world. Mm -hmm. uh, John Paul Sartre, the existentialist, said that if there is no infinite reference point, that all points are meaningless. He understood that if you don't have an infinite personal creator God, that, ever, that man, morality, sex, marriage have no meaning. They have mathematics, they have material, they have matter, but we don't know what they mean. And he was right. Uh, he should have gone back to Genesis 1-1 and he'd have been all right. Yes, but instead, we're going to create truth. And as a result of that, when, when, when our culture embraced that, all points began to fall. The military, m maleness and femaleness. Now, we're not sure what they are. Um, and, and one of them that fell was marriage. Another one was maybe uh, police. Uh, the military, a lot of things fell, but one of them was sexuality, that we no longer understood sexuality. But the problem is humans are still who they are and they get into marriage. And you may not discuss proper sexuality before marriage, but I'll guarantee you in marriage, it's an issue. And so 
all of these I did it at um, Prestonwood Baptist. It was, it was called um, Metro. And I taught the Song of Solomon. And we had 200 people. At the end of it, we had 800 people. Hmm. We, we taught it a second time. And on the opening night, we had 4,000 people. Wow. And these were Dallas singles. And they needed to understand kind of what the heck is going on. What is sexuality? We had Ward and June Cleaver that you never <laughs> saw their bedroom. We had Father Knows Best, you never saw their bedroom. Rob and Laura Petrie had singles. Ricky and Lucy had singles. Matter of fact, the first double bed was Bob Newhart yeah. oh, okay. and uh, his wife. But uh, we've gone from this great appropriateness to all of a sudden it is perversion. Yeah. And, you, and I would preach on through that. And I had to stop Tim at times because the girls would be doing this, wiping the tears. And the guys would be looking straight ahead like they had been poleaxed. And so I would have to stop and say, this is why we have a savior. Yeah. This is why we have a Bible to guide us in things. So when you get rid of God, you're either gonna go monastic that sex is evil, or you're gonna go perverse that there's no rules whatsoever. To find that balance of glory and of uh, goodness, that's only in the Bible. And so I taught Song of Solomon. Everybody wanted to hear it. And I just yeah. thought, man, this is a book for our day because we're so cut from our moorings adrift out yes. there. And it's worse now than it ever was then. And when I did Song of Solomon the first time, I did not have to address, I didn't have to say the word homosexual. Because in the 1990s, that still was a given. Mm -hmm. Things have changed. Boy, have Absolutely. It. Well, let's dive into the book of Song of Solomon. Right. But uh, it's not our intention to put a parental warning label on this episode of Christ and Prophecy. It's certainly not, and thankfully so, I would add. No, but we're <laughs> not ashamed of the Word of God. If God wants to sure. teach us about marital sex, yep. He's going to teach us about marital sex. And where it's silent, we'll be silent. And where the Bible talks about it, we'll talk about right. it. Do you think that that should be the case for all of us in yes. the approach this book? And uh, if, you, if someone will merely take the book where in the ch first chapter you watch a couple attract because a lot of troubles start in the type person you marry because there are some people that can't get married. There are some men that cannot be gentle, some women that cannot be respectful. And once you get in a marriage, you're going to have problems. And you find out this man is very gentle. This woman is extremely respectful. And then you watch them eat together. They date. Then you watch them get deeper in their relationship. We call it courtship. Then you watch the honeymoon night and you watch them. I got to tell you, one time I was teaching this at a fraternity in the Song of Solomon and there was a guy in the front row who's following along with me and he does like this. And when we get to the honeymoon, he goes, <laughs> he had to Bible? make sure that this <laughs> was this in the Bible. Bible. <laughs> and it doesn't use, you don't see a body part mentioned, no. but you see her saying, awake north wind, make my garden, her body, breathe. May he come and eat its choice fruits and be delighted in me. Now that is so amorous, you just let it go into your heart as to what she's saying. And so, that, and then you watch the couple have a fight. It gets the largest part of the book. And you watch them perfectly. His forgiveness, her, I'm sorry, they come together well. Then you watch sexuality later in the marriage and it's more amorous, still respectful, but it's delightful. And then you watch them in a parting shot of saying, uh, write me like a seal on your arm. Uh, I don't want un any other woman to have you. And it's this commitment to the death hmm. that they have. 
And so you can walk a couple from high school all the way to the age of uh, me and David Reagan, you know, <laughs> and you can, this is the way it's done. It's perfect for every age. It yeah. is, because it has been declared as good. God made them male and female so they could be one and united sure. and the sex would remain in the marriage covenant. You mentioned earlier that in the 90s we didn't talk about homosexuality. Now in the last five years, it seems all we talk about is uh, 70 different types of genders with all sorts of different right. kind of weird sex and stuff. Do you see that as a sign of the end times? Is, is Satan trying to pervert as much as possible with this moral decline because we're in the end times? Yeah, and I do. Uh, it, it says in um, 2 Thessalonians about Antichrist, he will not come unless the apostasy comes first. The apostasis, standing away. God hath commanded all men to repent, but we're going to see that it's not going to work. And man is going to reject the entire, when I was at seminary, I had a prof named Lewis Johnson, and he was a great guy. And he said he felt that, that the apostasy comes first, and then in 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, hard times will come. Men will be, and he goes down the list. And he said, I, Dr. Johnson said, I think that this text is saying that in the end times, there will be the formal rejection of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There'll be the rejection of it, and the rejection of the Bible, and the rejection of truth. And then he said, there will be the rejection of the Western worldview, the Judeo-Christian worldview, oh, we're that, that gives meaning to man, to morality, and, and gave a great dignity to, to science, to whatever, to education. And when that is rejected, it's, it's like it's cutting off the uh, limb on which you sit. Yes. The, the military goes down, the work ethic goes down, marriage goes down, until finally, uh, gender is not something you're assigned, uh, male and female. It is something you determine. Nothing could be more bizarre. And uh, I think it started with Rousseau. I think it started w way back in the Romantic era, the Enlightenment, when we rejected priestcraft mm -hmm. and the Bible, and we went inside of ourselves and came up with what we thought were the truth, and we don't have a means of knowing it. And so we have collapsed and on ourselves. So, yes. We call it cut flower culture. In other words, we are cut flower, cut off from our roots of the Judeo-Christian heritage. Aside from the physical aspect of a marriage relationship, which is a great blessing given to a husband and wife by God, and not just for procreation, there is an even deeper significance of a man and woman being joined together as one flesh. And so, the Bible actually teaches that this is a picture of our unity with Christ yeah. and the spiritual consummation that we look forward to with our bridegroom. And there's nothing to snicker about here. We're not trying to right. get into some kind of perverted uh, Freudian analysis, but it is another beautiful promise of God. You know, in the same way, uh, salvation, uh, the gospel is called the seed in 1 Peter, the, uh, the seed of God. And it says in Hebrews that it didn't profit them, it was not united with faith that you have belief, you have, and you have the, the nature of God is the Word of God comes to us, it is united with faith, and you are born again. You're a new creation. When Paul talks about uh, to the Corinthians, uh, do you not know that when a man goes into a prostitute, he is one body with her? When a man joins himself to the Lord, he is one spirit with him. Paul says this has a higher counterpart than just male and female. Mm -hmm. That our salvation is we are one with our bride. Matter of fact, you go back to Adam. Uh, it's not good for man to be alone. Adam, go to sleep. Opens his side. 
uh, takes out his body and makes a mate, who is the body of Adam. This one is, what is it? This is bone of my bone, flesh, flesh of my flesh. Of my flesh. Yeah. Where else in the Bible do you see a man going to sleep, his side opening up, and from it comes a bride? That is the cross oh, with boy. Christ. Adam, the last Adam. Uh, oneness to conceive, oneness to conceive. And there is intimacy. This woman loves this man. Mm -hmm. He presents himself in the Song of Solomon as a shepherd king. He comes as a shepherd, but he is the king of the earth. If you were the richest man on earth, how would you call a woman to marry you? I wouldn't show her my wealth. I would show her my heart and have her believe for the right reasons. And then I would show her new heavens and a new earth. Here is the bridegroom come down. Here's the house I have for you. And that is exactly what he does. He shows her the shepherd and he shows her the king. Christ came to us a wounded king and he returns in glory. Yes, he does. Wow. 1 Kings 4.32 says that Solomon wrote 1,005 songs, and he called this the Song of Songs, which makes it the primacy. In other words, yes. to him, this was the most important song. And it was about the physical attraction that a, a husband has for his wife and vice versa. Do you see that as the, the Israelites in the Old Testament look at that and say, well, that's a relation between God and His people, and can the church take that that's between yes. us and Christ? Hosea and Gomer. Okay. All right, you have this man loving his wife like Christ loved Israel. Um, the book of Ezekiel sees God as the uh, bridegroom taking his mate. And of course, they rejected their, their bridegroom. And so now he comes to reclaim her. Uh, they said to Jesus, why are you, all your people so happy eating with these people? He said, when you're at a wedding, mm. Uh, the bridegroom is joyful. There is no place for grief. He's taking the Jew and the mystery. He's taking Tim and Nathan and me and God help us, David, Reagan. <laughs> All right. I'm taking these Gentiles to become the bride. It's God reclaiming his bride. But lo and behold, that God so loved the world. He's inclusive of all of us now. So yeah, God in Israel, Christ in his church, it's the same love. So we talk about looking forward to being gathered to our bridegroom, the bride being the church, and, and united with our Savior. And I've already talked about this being an anticipation of unity that we can't hardly put into words. This consummation is too holy for mere words. And yet it's kind of like the Old Testament referring to a man knowing yeah. his wife. There, there's a beauty in that word because it's an intimate knowledge, it's an intimate relationship and a oneness. And so, how would you describe the beautiful spiritual unity that we should anticipate? In other words, what are we looking forward to? You know, the Bible says that uh, it, when it talks about heaven, it never goes into the delights of heaven. That's hypothetically, Islam tries to do that. Mm -hmm. All right, you get 72, you know, <laughs> Virginians virgins. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so, <laughs> it, uh, it looks at the, the sensual. With us, you get Revelation 21 and about five verses in 22. That's the splendor uh -huh. of it. Paul said, I got caught up to third heaven, and I can't tell you what I saw, but it was unbelievable. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It's marvelous. And yet, it's always, we will see his face. We'll see his face. Now we see in a mirror, dimly, then 
face to face, that there is a union of us. Whenever that Jewish man would come to get his wife and she would look upon him and he would take her and they would go into the, the, uh, the uh, bridal chamber and then go to the feast of joy. So he will take us to be with him. We'll be one with our Savior in glory. And then he will return down to the feast. And so, yes, and that's why I think, Tim, you, the, the term knowing his wife, only God could have come up with that. Mm -hmm. oh. Because the problem when you remove God from marriage, you, ob you objectify sex, yes. like pornography. You don't know who the girl is. You don't know where she went to school. You don't know anything, nor do you care. You want to be stimulated by watching her degrade herself. Fornication, you're using that woman. That's why living together before you get married, any male knows that's a, a, a line, okay, that I can have delight with no responsibility. You objectify the woman. Biblical sex, it is subjectify. It is, this is Teresa, my wife, and we are the same theology. We are the same spirit, the same purpose in life. We have children that look like us both. I, I mentioned one time I was a biology minor and I said, you know, it's a miracle you take this, these two cells and bring them together. And a biology major came to me and said, no, that's not correct. It's more wonderful. You take two half cells uh, and they become one. Yeah. Just like you have the word of God and faith and you've got an individual that looks like Adam and looks like God. Amen. What mm -hmm. can we say? Only God could have done that. That's amazing. As we go through this Jesus in the Old Testament series, we're looking for Christophanies, you know, pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus Christ or symbols or types, anything that points to Jesus. Would you say that there's anything more other than the symbol of yes, the bride and the church? there is. If I was a Psalm 128, no, 127 guy like Solomon, unless the Lord builds the house, yeah, they labor, labor in vain. Lest the Lord guards the city, it's nothing. Solomon knows you better have God in your family mm. and you better have God in your, in your nation. It's like we've said that the family's the basis of the nation. That's Solomon. Yeah, you better have it. And so if I was Solomon and I saw what happened to my family with David, my family with my faux pas, I would do a book about man, woman, family, morality. It's a pure thing. That's what I would do. And I think that's why Solomon wrote it, that we can't have a nation without Adam and Eve. It's got to be done. Abraham and Sarah, it's got to be done right. And so he says, this is the way. And then he goes, Psalm 128, blessed is that man, his wife will be like, his kids will be like, they just fit right together. And so, yeah, I think when you take a look at the Song of Solomon, I have been blessed with it in my own marriage. But I have looked at it sometimes typologically okay. and been swept away by the obvious higher persona of Solomon and the higher persona of this woman, of the church, of God's people, of Israel, how they should have been. And so I, uh, it, it's blessed me in all ways. Wow. Sometimes I got to teach the typology <laughs> of the Song of Solomon. I've never done that. Okay. I'm going to do that. It preaches. <laughs> well, until he comes, we will continue to encourage people to flee into the arms of our loving Savior, our beloved, and to flee from the wrath of God. And so for every person who is watching today, I hope that by the end of, of even this episode, they will be able to testify about Jesus Christ 
I am my beloved's, and my beloved's is mine. Yeah. Words straight from the book of Psalms. I am my beloved's. Mm. And that it's like the divine name. I am my beloved. Amen. Well, Tommy, we were certainly glad to come to Denton Bible Church, but we appreciate you coming to Maranatha Acres today and blessing us. Delighted to be here. Nathan, I have to admit that I approached this book with a degree of trepidation, but I'm glad that Tommy Nelson was able to demystify the Song of Solomon and actually offer the plain sense meaning of this beautiful book. Oh, yes. Well, Tommy's passion for Solomon's testimony of love within marriage is obvious. As he describes in the book, it is so amorous and delightful, but respectful. The key is to recognize that God created man and woman and designed them to complement each other in a marriage relationship. He pointedly said it was not good for Adam to be alone. The Bible also declares that it is not good. Actually, it is abominable in the eyes of God to fulfill sexual desires outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. And yet all those unbiblical sexual relationships are not only condoned by the world today, they're actually celebrated. A spirit of rebellion and confusion is rampant in our society in particular. This has got to be a sign of the end times. Absolutely. Recall that in 2013 and again in 2015, President Barack Obama traveled to Africa and urged the nations he visited to embrace homosexuality as America has. President Macky Sall of Senegal and President Uhuru Kenyatta of Kenya rejected Obama's pressure tactic, asserting that their nations were dedicated to upholding heterosexual marriage. We've spoken about Romans 1 many times, but Paul's prophetic warnings are coming to pass before our very eyes. American culture is given over to lust and impurity, degrading passions and homosexuality, and a depraved mind that not only indulges in abominations, but also gives hearty approval to those who practice them. We cannot emphasize enough that you need to protect your children and grandchildren, let alone your own heart and mind, from the influence and indoctrination of the evil one that is permeating every facet of our society. Practically speaking though, Tim, how can we do that? Well, Nathan, I think that uh, as I told my children, they need to guard their hearts against rushing into uh, romantic relationships. But I also took very seriously my responsibility to guard their hearts and their minds as they grew up by limiting their exposure to the culture. You know, we cannot completely insulate our kids from the world, but we can inoculate them with the Word of God. Mm -hmm. And we can shield them from music and movies and books and television designed to program their minds in ways that are contrary to biblical truth. Well, our conversation is focused on warning about the world's false and destructive narrative about sex. But Song of Solomon is a love song that tells of good and godly love and points us to Jesus Christ. Well, our key verses this week is Song of Solomon 2.4 and 6.3. They have clear messianic overtones. Collectively, Christians are called the bride of Christ, the church, and He is our bridegroom. In the language of Song of Solomon, Jesus is our beloved. On that note, we hope that you are eager to be joined with our heavenly bridegroom and looking forward to His glorious return. If you would like to get a copy of my booklet, Looking Forward to the Reign of Jesus Christ, just call the number on the screen. For a gift of only $5 or more, we'll be glad to send it to you. Next week, we'll arrive at the first of the major prophets, Isaiah. Until then, this is Tim Moore. And Nathan Jones saying, look up and be watchful, for the Lord our beloved bridegroom is drawing near. Equip yourself to understand the signs of the end times that point to the imminent return of Jesus Christ by joining us at the Lamb and Lion Ministries 2022 Bible Prophecy Conference this July 23rd in the greater Dallas area. Our theme is storm warning, the urgency of the rapture. 
Tim Moore and Nathan Jones will be joined by the Prophecy Pros Jeff Kinley and Todd Hampson and several other gifted speakers. Arrive a day early and join us for a special gathering Friday evening. Secure your reservation today from our website at lamblion.com.